Welcome to the On a Mission. On a Mission. The On a Mission podcast. You've got one of the best jobs in the world. I have to say, you've had some really astounding guests. You're generally a force for good. You are the truth warrior. Lisa Johnson, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me in this yes. posh studio that you've got. I know. It's so much better in person, isn't it? I've got to say, you are looking absolutely fabulous. Have you been on a bit of a health kick since we last spoke? Not really a health kick, but I moved house. And I got a gym in my house. And so now I can't think of any reason in the morning why I shouldn't go because it's right there downstairs. And so it's meant that I've tried a little harder <laughs> to be a bit healthier. You know what's funny? The other week I was off to the gym. I was going to go to a yoga class. And then my husband informed me that he'd cancelled my gym membership. I proceeded to kick off. You've got no right to do that. I enjoy my yoga classes. He then told me that he'd cancelled it 10 months previously. And you'd never even been. <laughs> I had to pipe down at that point. Yeah, I know. We're so bad, aren't we? It's just life gets in the way. Like, I'm so busy all the time these days. Like life has gone really hectic, um, homeschooling the kids. And so, yeah. Homeschooling? Is this a relatively new thing then? Yeah, we're only doing it for three months. So basically we moved house mm -hmm. and the kids... There's no point putting them in a school for three months before mm -hmm. they go to secondary school mm -hmm. in September. And we've got summer coming up. So we said, you know what? We'll just homeschool them for three months. They can come traveling with us. Like Finian, one of my twins, came with me to um, New York for my retreat that I had last week. And he really enjoyed it. So we've been doing a bit of that. But it's harder than I thought it was going to be. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, there's no time when they're not there. Yeah. I think I've forgotten what it's like to have kids there all the time, 24-7. Because <laughs> you still have to parent, even when you're homeschooling. So it's like trying to run a business and parent at the same time. It's just a no-no. It doesn't work. It's really interesting because we were meant to be moving to Dubai at the end of August. The kids were enrolled to start school in September. But for a variety of reasons, we've basically deferred it for a year. Before we'd made that final decision, we'd postponed it to end of October, end of November. My eldest, Sienna, was transitioning into secondary. So we thought, no problem for the youngest two. They can go back to primary. But I don't really want the disruption of putting her in a brand new school, a new Thanks environment, making new friends, just getting familiar with it and ripping her back out. So a bit like yourself, I thought, for the sake of three months, we're going to homeschool. And in my head, I'm thinking we're going to give her life mastery she's yeah. going to be coming on my podcast we can teach her about <laughs> ai technology video editing researching but yeah i think actually i've got nightmares starting to come back from lockdown, <laughs> lockdown. the yeah. harsh reality when you start off on day one like mary poppins and by yeah. day five you're like ah. just here have your phone <laughs> <laughs> just watch something on the television <laughs> i remember just putting horrible history on and saying take some notes yeah take notes on this <laughs> we'll watch the titanic by the way, your new home is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank Congratulations. You. Thanks. When I saw the swimming coming. pool, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was very jealous, I've got to say. We'll get to use that swimming pool for about three days a year in this weather. <laughs> I know, it, it's absolutely beautiful. So what's new with you? Lots been happening in the last 18 months. Oh, loads has happened. I suppose the biggest thing was the book. Yeah. So I got a book deal. Uh, I got the book deal because my podcast went to number one in the UK charts. And what I didn't realise is that the way that publishers work is they listen to podcasts to see who's the, who the new people are. Mm. And so I got offered two, two book deals at the same time. Did one, chose one, didn't have an agent, did it myself. 
and then wrote the book and it got published in January and became a Sunday Times bestseller. So that was all a bit crazy. We had like a launch party and things. It was really good fun, but it kind of took up the, the two months of this year just doing book launching. So that's been fun. How does it feel to be a celebrity? I'm not, I'm definitely not a celebrity. <laughs> you are. But it is quite, what I've found fun is if I'm on a train and someone's reading the book. Like that's that happened, happened twice. Um, once I was on a plane and someone's reading it and once someone was reading the back cover of it in a bookshop while I was standing there. And I quite like that. I didn't say anything. Did you not? No. Oh, I don't think I'd be able to help myself. <laughs> no, it's been quite fun and it's been picked up now by some independent bookshops that we didn't realise that it would go to. So it's in like Dubai and in all these different places that we didn't know that it would go to. So that's been quite nice to see that. Um, so yeah, this, that's been fun. And, you know, it's just been a whirlwind of PR and radio and all of that kind of thing. So that's been good. Are but, you still doing your own PR then at the moment? No, I had to take on the PR firm for the as soon as the book was out because suddenly we got a lot more scope to talk about things mm -hmm. and... Um, which was fun, you know, I, I went on a few different shows and that kind of thing, so it was good. Um, and now we are focusing on this new part of the business that we're doing, and my team has grown now to 11 people, so that's gone bigger than it has done before. We just launched again our main signature programme in April, um, did another £2 million launch, Wow. So there's a lot that goes into that. It takes a long time. We we still are using our assets from before, but it takes a long time of, you know, my whole team's energy goes into that launch because we know it's our biggest one. Are you still doing it without ads, paid ads? We started ads this year. So we spent £11,000 on ads. Um, we think it worked. I'm, I, I still, with ads, I'm still a bit like... I get a lot more from organic growth than I do with ads. I'll play with them now. I'm not so scared of them mm -hmm. as I used to be. So I'll I'll dabble with them and go, oh, look, this person came on. But when we look, like once we've done the ads, we have a look at who came through an ad and all of them are people already on my list. So I'm not sure that ads introduce me to new people well, but I think what they do do is give them a push to buy something. And mm -hmm. so I think I still see that as ads working. So I'm willing to play with them a bit more now. Um, so yeah, we're dabbling and doing some evergreen stuff this year. But yeah, things are really changing in what we want to do in business. Okay, so what's the biggest change for you then? I think the biggest thing is we've got this new arm to the business mm -hmm. that um, we've been working on for about a year and a half. Like I knew I wanted to do something with my business to up the standard of training in the online space. Because we have loads of people that come into the online space and they go, oh, I really want to work online. You go, great, what do you want to do? And they don't really know. <laughs> they just want to work online, like basically play on the internet for money. And that's not really how it works. Although with most coaches out there, you might think that is how it works. <laughs> um, because, you know, people wake up one day and decide the next day they're a coach mm. and they're helping people with trauma and all sorts of things that they're not qualified to help people in. And, you know, I've been around a bit now, you know, I've been in this world, this online world about seven years and I see lots of people becoming strategists and becoming all of these different fancy things, but they are completely untrained. Mm. They've no never done it in corporate. They've never done it in a past life. And so... I wanted, and, and then they start offering courses on it. Mm -hmm. Like, you can be me. You be me and I'll teach you how to do it. 
And I, I went into a few of these courses just to see what the standard oh, was. I love this. Because I'm all about integrity in this online space. And yeah. you know, I've said to you before, I believe this the online space will kill itself if we're not careful because there's so many dodgy things going on. But I wanted to see the standards. And some of these strategy courses were like really, really basic. You can tell this person's never in a strategy. It was just marketing 101 and they're calling mm -hmm. it business strategy. And so the first thing I did to test the waters is I wrote a strategy program that was about real business strategy and how we can bring real business strategy that we learn from corporate and the outside space into online businesses because there shouldn't be as much of a difference as people think there is. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this program and I put it out there and did my first launch of it, which went really well, got people on. And I wanted to see how they did with it. And all the way through, people were saying, this is really hard. I mean, yeah, it should be hard. Like, you shouldn't be able to just read a book and say you're a strategist. Like, I want you to learn all the different parts of strategy, not just the easy marketing bit. And people were saying at the end, we got more out of this than we did in our university marketing programme that we did. And so I was like, this is better. This is the right track. And we had an exam at the end and they had to pass it before they could be accredited. We got it accredited with the CPD. And I wanted it to be a real certified programme. And as soon as we did that and people started talking about the standard of that programme, I thought, why haven't we got a standard of programme that is as good for everything? Before we go into that, something I hadn't realised until chatting to you was how easy it is for companies to self-accredit and how meaningless they are. But people don't necessarily know that or where to go and do how their due diligence. Know? Yeah. I mean, you will see a lot of people saying, do level four Facebook ads training, I don't know, make something up, learning and mentoring association, LMA, level four get your LMA level four here. And people go, oh, well, that sounds like, you know, it's good. And they say, is it accredited? And they said, yeah, it's accredited by the LMA. The LMA is them. Yeah. So, you know, you're a coach and you decide to set up the LMA to accredit your own programme. So basically all you're doing is printing out a certificate in your bedroom when someone finishes. That, that isn't good enough. We need to hire the standard. And regulatory bodies like the CPD, um, you know, there are others, the CPD isn't the only one, have been there for a, a long time and they're doing a good job. They're making sure that before something gets accredited or certified, it's to a high standard. You know, when we put something to CPD, they often come back and go, well, we do like it, but we think you could do better on this bit, this bit, this bit. So we do. And that's needed. Someone needs to be accountable for the standard of the training that's being put out there. Mm. You know, like otherwise we may as well all do it. You know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll certify Lisa Johnson. You are now certified as a Lisa Johnson strategist. It doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. has to be accredited by somebody real. And once I saw that so many people were bringing out their own certifications, meaning nothing, and people were telling me the standard of your programs are so much higher than most out there, then I wanted to bring that standard to all of the different careers that you can have as an online business owner. So that when people say, I want to work in online business, you know, I've come out of corporate, I want to work online, or even if they're graduating and they want to work online, instead of just saying, okay, I'll teach you how to make the money online, how to grow a business, let's accredit them in something useful that can actually become an online career and then grow their business. So, you know, whether it's Facebook ads or being a community manager or an AI integrator in someone's business or a strategist, any of these things, 
I now have programs that have been written by really great people, gone th through a really high standard to be accredited so that people are certified in one of these things. And then we have the courses that will then help them grow their business, whether that's you know, visibility or passive income or any of the other things that we teach to grow businesses. But at least they'll actually have a career path rather than just, well, that person's selling stuff. I'll just sell what she sells. I think this is where it dif there's no differentiation really from online and offline. You might be good at selling your particular product or service, but if you don't know how to run a business, it's almost irrelevant just because you're good at that one particular thing in that one particular area. That doesn't transcribe across the board automatically. Yeah, and I actually think it's the opposite to that. I think just because it, you're good at marketing and being an influencer online yeah. doesn't mean that you can just sell fluff and air. Exactly. You need to actually have a skill to sell. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a strategist. I'm a strategist because I did that in corporate for years and years and years and, and understand how that works. But you see strategists who, I don't know, worked in the hairdressers yesterday being a strategist yeah. today mm -hmm. and putting out courses about that two weeks later and accrediting them and that isn't fair to people that are paying a lot of money like they need to you know have some kind of reassurance that the advice they're getting is good well I can't make everybody go to a regulatory body I can't make I wish I could make the whole industry regulated but I can't and I'm not even sure that's the right way to go about it but what I can do is give people an option of if you want a really high standard of training and you want to work really well in the online industry, you can get accredited with us mm -hmm. and it will be CPD accredited. But also if someone's looking for a Facebook ads manager or looking for a community manager, they know they can go with someone that we've trained because mm -hmm. they know that it will be to a certain standard. And so I thought, well, that's the next step for us then because, you know, Yes, we can keep making more money and it can be about that or it can be about actually changing things in this industry. And I always talk about change, but me just shouting about things doesn't create change. <laughs> I wish it did. Otherwise, you know, my Facebook rants would be have a purpose to them, but it doesn't create change. But I can create change in a different way. Yeah, it definitely ruffles feathers though, and you can start to identify who's been triggered by certain posts, which is always rather telling. I don't know if it's confirmation bias because I'm in the property sector, but it's something I see so much. People who have been in property 12, 18 months, now charging 5, 10, 15, 20 grand a year for their expertise. And whilst I appreciate we can learn from most people, on paper, if I've done a buy to let and you've not, there's things that you can learn from me. I just think we're manipulating people and That's there's the no word. there's no accountability yeah. whatsoever. And I disagree with the vast majority of people on this because everyone talks about the catch me if you can concept. You only need to be one step ahead in order to bring somebody else forward. But if the perception and the marketing insinuates that you're some sort of a guru That's or a multimillionaire, to me that's manipulation. Right. And actually, you can be two steps ahead, but charged for two steps ahead. Yeah. Don't be two steps ahead and charge for 50 steps ahead. And I know that we have, like, if you even talk about money in any kind of way that isn't, I want to make 10 million pounds, you have a money mindset issue, right? That's what we're told. <laughs> but, but the reality of it is, I don't necessarily believe that just because we can we should charge 100k packages. Mm -hmm. You know, this is someone's mortgage that they're giving up to work with you 
for what? You know, let's admit most people who pay 100K aren't going to get the results that you have promised them because they're not you mm-hmm. and they have to learn their own way. And Didn't you have a situation where one of your coaches advised you that you were significantly undercharging and you did a post about this, which I actually thought was fantastic? I've been told many times I'm undercharging. For one-to-one, which is the highest you can get with me for three months... I charge £30,000. I think that's loads. I think that's a really a lot of money for basically the knowledge in my head and the way that I can, you know, if somebody comes to me with a business and goes, I'm at A, I want to get a B, I can tell them exactly how to get there. That's the only talent I've been given in life and I can tell them where the gaps are and why they're not there. So I know it's worth something. But just because I can help someone with that doesn't mean... I should charge 100,000 or now people are charging 300,000 for one-to-one. And people say to me, well, that's your money mindset. It's not my money mindset. It's me being a decent ethical person Mm -hmm. because I do believe in ethical pricing. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And nobody in business agrees with me over this. Like all of my mentors that I've ever had are like, well, if someone's willing to pay it, I'm like, that's not the point. If someone's willing to pay it because they desperately need your help doesn't mean that's what you should charge. Like, why not a fair price that still makes you money? You know, make $6 million a year. I'm doing okay Mm. charging fair pricing with payment plans. But do you not think these words are now becoming weaponized? big money Mm. mindset? And I've been there. I've been online and I stand by it. The best investment you can ever make is in yourself. However, when I was on Job Seekers Allowance, really, should people have been charging me tens of thousands of pounds without knowing my circumstances or taking the time to understand what my financial situation was? Probably not is the reality. Well, at least give some options. You know, people keep saying to me, you shouldn't have a membership for £49 when you're earning £6 million. Like, why? When you're earning £4 million or whatever it is now, why shouldn't I have a membership? Why can't new... Only six years ago, I had no money. Like, not... not I didn't have £1,000 to give to somebody to learn about anything. I had to go and read every book in the library and go to every free webinar and work it out myself. I didn't mm-hmm. have the money to do it. And if somebody had had something that was low cost, that I didn't get loads of their time, but I could just, you know, go through a course, then why shouldn't that be there? That I've got a course that's like 300 quid to give you those basics so that you can start making money to invest in yourself on other things. Mm-hmm. But the amount of people that say this is a money mindset issue, and I can see how that helps them because then they get to charge whatever they like. And sleep. Yeah, <laughs> and sleep at night. But I just think that there needs to be a different way. And because there's no re- regulation, that's it's always going to be, you know, people just charge as much as they can. Of course they will. Like people are out mm-hmm. for their own survival and and greed is real. And so why wouldn't you? It's um, prof- profits over people though, isn't it? We were talking about people over profits last time you were on the pod. And this is why I resonate more and more with people like yourself because all of this, if you don't pay, you don't pay attention, really is nonsense. And whilst, don't get me wrong, if you've got the money and you can afford to invest in yourself and on proper education, self or professional development, I'm a huge advocate of that. I also think to say that if you don't pay for something, you don't pay attention, is um, it's actually quite condescending because as somebody was on Job Seekers Allowance back in 2018, if somebody had put me on a course that I really valued, like one of yours, for example, I can guarantee I'd have been there at the front row yeah. taking page after page after page. So to make sweeping statements yeah, like it that is a, is just it's too big a sweeping statement. I do think there's a middle ground here. So we used to give scholarships yeah. to all our courses and we did find, unfortunately, that the majority of people that got a completely free scholarship didn't turn up. 
Really? Yes. That's interesting. So we did find that, but we, we didn't know that until we did the work to test it. We wanted to test it, but we gave 30 scholarships out, and I think three people um, actually went through the whole process. But then what we did, instead of saying, well, they don't work, let's charge them for the amount, we did scholarships where they pay a token amount. Because, of course, they can't afford £3,000 for a programme if they're not working, but even £50 to someone that's not working means they've got skin in the game. Mm -hmm. To them, that's skin in the game. And all you need is skin in the game. Um, For me, my skin in the game, when I couldn't afford anything, was time. Mm -hmm. Like, time was my biggest asset. So if I was going to spend time doing it, I was then going to implement. You know, I didn't need to put money in. Time was much worth more to me because I had baby twins at the Mm -hmm. time. And so so I do believe someone needs to have skin in the game, but that skin doesn't need to be £3,000 or £10,000 to them, skin in the game could be 50. So we did it that way and that changed everything. Then they did turn up. It's really quite fascinating, isn't it? I can see why and I mean this with the greatest of respect. Hey guys, it's Ellie and I'm super excited to share that I'm partnering up with one of my favourite brands, AG1 by Athletic Green. I'm asked all the time about the one thing that I do to take care of my health. And in reality, there's so many to choose from. But if I could only pick one, it would be Athletic Greens because it ticks so many boxes. Life can get pretty hectic. As a busy mum of three, I know firsthand how easy it is to let your nutrition slip, especially when you're always on the go or travelling. It's easy to neglect the thing that's the most important to us and that's our health. Since I started taking AG1, it's been a game changer. My energy levels have been through the roof. My hair and skin feel amazing, my digestion's improved, and I'm even sleeping better. It's a real deal. The ingredients are sourced from the highest quality producers from around the world. But what I love most about it is that all my nutritional bases are covered with one scoop. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and probiotics, which means it's replaced a ton of other supplements that was previously taken. It's my secret weapon. It helps me show up as the best version of myself every single day, all from adding one simple habit. But don't just take my word for it. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash on our mission. Check it out. You're quite unpopular with the other coaches <laughs> that perhaps don't operate by your set of values. You know, you got bullied so badly within your first year of business yeah. that you almost quit. I did. I, I almost quit. I only didn't quit because um, somebody who I really looked up to at the time told me that, yes, you can quit because it is hard out here. Or you can change everything from the inside. But the only way that people will listen to you if you want to change everything from the inside is if you make more money than everybody else. (laughs) Because otherwise they won't listen to you because they'll believe that you have to be a certain way to make money. Because that's what we've seen, right? The people that are ruthless make money. The people that are charging these big amounts. The people that are manipulative and using all these invisible offers and all of the rest of the things that they do, NLP, to get you to buy stuff... They make money. Can I just say on that, and again, I absolutely love this about you, you could see some of the tactics, the underhand tactics that were used to manipulate sales. You've disproven a lot of this time and time again with your launches, your organic £2 million launches. 
But in order to prove the concept further, you actually go, like you mentioned before, you went undercover to some of these courses and things. You did the same with NLP, didn't you? You trained yeah. in NLP. You used some NLP tactics in order to entice sales just to say to people, look, this is how easy it is to manipulate yeah. people's emotions to move them towards the point of sale. I trained in hypnosis and NLP. Just the least amount I could do because I really don't want to know how to do it. But I did the least amount and started to add it just on one course into my sales, into the way I was doing things to see if it made a difference. It made a massive difference. People were wanting to pay me without looking at a sales page. And that doesn't happen in my business. And so it made a big difference. And I wanted to prove to people that you might not think you're being manipulated, but if you don't know all the tactics that people are using, you could be being manipulated without you even knowing it. Um, you know, there's so much that goes on out there now that I don't approve of. People are always going to still do them. They have for years. You know, sales is sales and people will always use sales tactics. But I have people around me that teach sales now in a way that is really non-manipulative is a really nice way of doing sales. Sales doesn't have to be icky. Like you take someone like Charlie Day, she teaches sales in a really good, wholesome, you can sell and still sleep at night way. And I think the more people that start teaching how to do these things and proving really, I think what I've done at least is prove to people that you can make a lot of money and not use any of these tactics. Mm -hmm. Like we went so far in one launch to use none. So sometimes... I'll use a sales tactics like I might have a bonus for the people in the first 24 hours. And I don't see that as a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. But I wanted to prove that you could do a launch and take all of it away. Any FOMO, like fear of missing out, no trauma tactics, no talking about pain points, you know, all the things we've been taught. What if we stripped all that out and just said, this is what I've got. This is how it will help you. So I did a launch of a program called Visible to just see if it would work. I knew that people needed to be visible. I knew I could teach people to be visible. I knew that I could show them how. And in my launch, I could demonstrate that. So I said I wouldn't even use any tactics at all. It made 300 and something thousand in a week, proving that even if you took all of it away, and we don't need to strip everything about, people know what a bonus is these mm -hmm. days. But even if we took all of it away, you would still be able to have really good launches and sell your stuff. And now we do counterbalancing. So my whole team, if we do something and we think, hmm, is this causing someone to act in a way they wouldn't normally? So for instance, if you are going to use a bonus and people will really want it, they might get fear of missing out marketing. So they might rush in in the first 24 hours and then think, actually, did I even want that? So we counterbalance it with something. So for instance, we'll give a money back guarantee. You don't No quibble. You don't have to tell us why you want it back for 14 days after you buy if we use a bonus. Mm. So that if they did come in because of that reason, they've gotten out. So, you know, it's all about counterbalancing. If you are going to use a certain tactic, make sure it's fair. Make sure there's a way that people can get out of that tactic. Because there's all sorts that goes on that people regret buying something within the first two days and then they're stuck in it. And that's not right. What are your retention stats then compared to industry standard? Or is there a way to even know what the industry standard is? I don't know what the industry standard is, but what I will say is that most of my clients, well, pretty much, I would say we're close to nearly all of my clients buy more than one thing from me. Like they buy 
different things when I bring them out. Like I have a very core, loyal following Mm -hmm. that buy lots of things. Um, My membership does well. I mean, all memberships have a churn and that's really normal, but people come out for a bit and then they come back in. And and often people tell me, I went into it, I just wanted to try another membership, but it wasn't like yours, so I've come back in. And, you know, our membership is called You Can Sit With Us for a reason. We don't want it to be elitist or you have to be at this level or you know, any of those kind of things, everybody should have the chance to start and grow a business, mm. whoever you are, whatever situation. Um, and so that's what we tried to do. And it's worked. I think people really like the membership. It's been going seven, nearly seven years, so I guess it, it's doing okay. Um, but yeah, I think that you're right in that there are people out there who are my peers who <laughs> don't gel with me so much. Yeah. Um, but I'm okay with it now. And I think... If I'm honest about it, in the first couple of years, I wasn't okay with that because I was bullied at school. I wanted to be part of the in crowd, you know? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be hanging out with all those multi-seven-figure entrepreneurs you always see in the same places and all, you know, doing the same things. I wanted to be part of that. And then, until I didn't, until I realised that it was nonsense mm-hmm. <laughs> and that actually isn't it much nicer to hang out with people that you actually like and that you share values with no matter where they are on the scale of earnings. So what changed for you? Did you start working with a coach or someone to support you with that? No. I think what happened is I I have become better at my own self-development, my internal dialogue and recognising. I'm just more self-aware. I think you can't mm. be in this industry without becoming more self-aware. Mm-hmm. And listening to that intuition, because sometimes we dull it down in ourselves. Yeah, my intuition, I've been part of a mastermind. And it was one of these ones where you get to go to Necker Island, you know. It's like there's a lot of those masterminds out there where you get to go to Necker. And it's always... Yeah, they cost tens of thousands, don't they? It cost me 70,000 for me and my husband to, to go and to be part of it. Although I think there's some rule that I didn't stick to where you're not supposed to tell people that and you're supposed to say you were invited <laughs> um, <laughs> so I probably already annoyed everyone with that without even Sorry, knowing Richard. it <laughs> but yeah I, I was in this mastermind and I'd enjoyed some of the people in the mastermind you know there were some really decent human beings in that mastermind but there were some that weren't decent and people were overlooking the fact that they were lying about their income they were doing all of these dodgy things and and you know, doing really dodgy things, telling people online that if you lose weight, you'll be more successful. You know, if you're the thinner you are, the more successful. All these kind of things that people were doing. And and I think people disagreed with it and told me they disagreed with it, but they would never say anything because it's a mastermind, sister. You have to support no matter what. I don't believe in this supporting no matter what. So I was going to go anyway. And because I've always wanted to go to NECA. I just want to see what the place is like. And I like Richard Branson and the kind of things he does, uh, especially Virgin Unite, which is a really good charity that he has. And so I took my family and friends on a super yacht around Greece for fun, like a once in a lifetime thing, which has turned into not a once in a lifetime thing. <laughs> <laughs> Last summer. And, there, and all of my friends that were on that boat were pre-business friends. Mm-hmm. So I've got friends that I knew that have known me years and years that really couldn't give a toss what I do in business now or how much money I make. Don't care about my audience. They're not friends with me for that. They're friends with me because they're friends with me. And so we we're all on this yacht and they were talking about it was one of their birthdays and they were saying, oh, we're going to be in the Chinese where we grew up, you know, like in the where I grew up is in a council estate. Like 
we were going to go to the Chinese and, and it was going to be a laugh. And they were going, oh, it's going to cost us seven ninety nine. It's costing you 70 grand to be in Necker and you won't be with us on our seven ninety nine meal. And they were just taking the mickey out of me. And I sat there and within a second, I realised I wasn't going to Necker. Really? Yeah. I was just like, what am I doing? I'm giving up the chance to be with real friends who actually care about me and don't care who I am. And they're not, I'm not hanging out with them because it looks good for me or it looks good for them. I'm hanging out with them because they're decent people who I actually really like. Instead of doing that, I'm going to go to this place. Why am I really going? To show off, to go look where I am with all these fancy people who you see as the top percentage in business and now you're going to see me like that because I'm hanging out with them. I got off the train. I feel like I was on a train of... This is what success looks like online. Get your mm. podcast to the top. Get your book as a Sunday Times bestseller. Make six figures. Make seven figures. Make multi-seven figures. I think I'm supposed to be hitting eight figures anytime now. Like, it was a path that you're supposed to go on. Go in a mastermind with all the best people. Show that you're mates with them, even if you don't really like them. Um, they all do that, you know. And then go to NECA. And what's I'm sure there's something next. Stand on there's probably two stages in America that I'm supposed to be standing on next. <laughs> I'm sure we can all name them. But they're like the things that everyone does. But I realised that whose success is that? Because it isn't mine, but it was becoming mine. I was just assimilating into what everybody else does because that's what we're told success is. And we're not even told it, we're just shown it. Mm. And so I just said, I'm not going. And I still paid the 70000 and I didn't go. And I went to the Chinese restaurant and had an amazing night. <laughs> oh, you know, I absolutely love that story. And I, I really resonate with it as well because I've realised over the last 18 months I'm just putting my ladder against the wrong wall. I'm trying to conform to what I believed was my idea of success. And I'd outwardly spoken about this, but yet I was still putting my ladder against that wall that actually wasn't mine. But you've had some pretty serious health challenges yourself over the last couple of years um sadly your husband got diagnosed with cancer as well were those quite formative moments to help you get to this point a little bit they definitely I think without me realizing it they've definitely played a part in you know why am I doing this so mm. the health part I love work you know I love work and I love that I can be on holiday and I can work I can just work whenever I want to work yeah. and it's fun and I love what I do. And so when people were saying to me, you know, my doctors were saying, the reason that you're unhealthy is because you're stressed. I was like, but I'm not stressed. I love what I do. I don't feel stressed at all. What I had to realise is that I might not feel stressed in my head. My body is stressed because I'm taking on a lot. You know, I'm taking on an industry <laughs> and telling it it's, it's wrong <laughs> and it needs to change. And that will cause stress to my body, whether or not I feel okay. Um, and I think that there was definitely a build-up of, you know, I, I do get quite a lot of hate and things like that online and, and people trying to have a go. And I think there was a build-up of that um, and just the pressure of suddenly I had lots of staff who have mortgages, who are all my friends. I've taken on my friends and family to be in my business. So there's much more of a, although it's great for trust purposes, there's much more of a worry if things don't work out when you've got other people that you're also supporting that you love. And I think all of that together did make me ill, really. And I don't, I, I, I still would say, if someone said to you, did you feel stressed? No, I never really feel that stressed. 
Like, I'm quite happy to work. I don't work long hours, you know. I have a fairly easy life. I go on holiday most of the year. It's a nice life, but you will still get stressed if your nervous system is dealing with a lot. Yeah. And so I had to kind of go, well, you know, what what does success really look like for me? And I realised that when I sat down and I really thought about it, the best times in my life, they aren't when I'm, you know, people are clapping me on a stage or, or saying how amazing it is that I have a Sunday Times bestseller. They're when I'm with my mates. They're when I'm with my family, just doing really normal things, mm. really fun things. And so if that's what success looks like, do more of that. Stop worrying about the rest of it. I was so sick of people saying to me, so now you're at multi-seven figures, when are you get into eight figures? And I was like, when am I allowed to stop? <laughs> like, yeah. when does it become enough? Because it's enough for me now. <laughs> and so I was like, the money isn't the be-all and end-all for me. It has to be more than that. And my, my bigger mission is to teach people strategy, simply. And so that they can have great businesses and they can have freedom in their lives. And I've always said, I have no mission to change the world, but my mission is to help other people who want to change the world be able to do it. Oh, well, that's so interesting because that's my mission through this podcast. I don't come at this from the position of being an expert. My only talent is getting around people who are far more knowledgeable in the areas that I want to learn from. And that's my contribution, being able to facilitate that. I totally get that because I felt bad for a while because everyone seemed to have a mission to help a million women by 2027. <laughs> I was like, I don't have that. I don't have those kind Bad of missions. Person. Yeah. I've not got these big grand plans to change anything in the world. That's not really what I'm about. But I quite like the idea of being able to help those that do have that. Mm-hmm. And so this enables me to do it. I don't need to make eight, multi-eight, nine figures to do that. Great if the money's there. There's more we can do with that money. There's always more we can do. Um, not just for me, but for others. But that can't be the biggest reason. And I actually think at the beginning you're in it, usually when you start a business, you're in it for survival. Mm -hmm. You're in it to make money. (laughs) You know, you've been there. We're in it for survival. We're in it because we're in debt. We're in it because we need to be able to feed our kids. But eventually it comes a point where you realise that's not what you're in it for anymore because that that need has been met. And so then you have to find out what you're really in it for. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really interesting. I'm just nodding away for anyone that's just listening to the audio. I'm like a nodding dog as Lisa's talking because for ages I wanted to be the number one podcast in the UK. Then I wanted to be the number one podcast in the world. I wanted to knock Joe Rogan off a top spot. I wanted to become a billionaire. And again, like you say, I've stepped back and I thought, do I actually care about any of that? I'm very much like you. I'm not trying to say I'm not materialistic because I am to an extent. I like to travel. (laughs) I like nice things. I like lovely handbags like that one you've brought in. (laughs) And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. But ultimately, money for me is just one of the areas of my life I want to be abundant in. And I wrongly thought when I got to a certain amount of properties in my portfolio, that would be success. And I realised I still kind of felt like shit and that's not really what makes me happy. In the same way, getting the number one spot, that's just ego. It's actually me removing that ego. It's where the real success is. And I only track my metrics to see what's resonating with the audience so we can give people more of what they want. And I'm always trying to be, I know it sounds really cliche, but a better version of myself, a better person than I was the day before. Does that work every day? Absolutely not. <laughs> do, do you go backwards some days? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but why does it matter? It's like we're, you know, and I'm competitive with myself. If I know that I could do better, I'm my own worst critic. And some people say, oh, you need to be kind to yourself. And I get that. But I also think on the flip side of that, if you know you're capable of more, you can't accept that 
internal dialogue either. You do kind of need to push yourself if that's the way that you're wired, which is definitely the way I'm wired. But in terms of having infinite amount of money, what do I need to do with for? it? Yeah, exactly. And also, you don't want money if it means working harder. That sounds exactly. really lazy. I don't mean it to be lazy, but you, the balance in life is really important to me. I want to spend time with my kids. I want to spend time doing things that I love. Like I travel and I want to continue traveling. I don't want to not be able to do those things to be able to make more money. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to do both. So for me, it's always finding a balance, a way that I can do both. Um, And if it ever comes to a point where it's like, well, you'll have to work harder, then no, I'm not doing it. I'm not prepared to. You know, it's really interesting. I take so much time off with the kids. I love to travel. But I also don't think anything of nipping on my phone and doing a couple hours work because I don't see it as work. I don't really see the whole work-life balancing. It's one just kind of jumbled mess. And sometimes you have to put more focus in one area and sometimes in another. But the more, and again, this might sound a little bit, I don't know if it's woo-woo if that's the right word, but the more I step back and stop chasing tapping into that self-awareness that that's not actually the thing that makes me happy. The thing that makes me happy like you is actually, yeah, I love my five-star holidays to Dubai, but I tell you what I prefer, walking in the woods with the three kids and the two dogs with no phones, tapping into nature. And the less I kind of strive, I still take action. I'm a lot more strategic with what I do. So I might not put as many hours in, but I'm very mindful that when I do put the hours in, they're good hours. And I'm just finding the less I'm chasing, the more things are just coming I do think that me. works. I think that works in all areas of life, including money. Mm-hmm. When you stop pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. I believe in energy. I'm not spiritual at all. You know I'm not spiritual. I'm not woo in any way. I'm kind of anti most of it. <laughs> but I do believe in energy. I can feel energy when I walk in a room, so it must exist. And I can... I can feel my own energy and, and that kind of thing. And so I believe that if we're pushing all the time, the energy can't can't work that way. There's nowhere for it to go. There's no flow. So I often feel that if I'm on holiday or I'm enjoying myself, that's when I get more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't profess to know how it works. It's like with money mindset when people say to me, you know, I learned from people like Denise Duffield Thomas and Jen Sincero about money mindset. And although I had to ignore every woo thing in the books, mm-hmm. um, When they say, you know, if you have a plan for that money and you know what you want to make and you have a pathway of how you're going to make it and you can just trust that it comes in, that works. And I don't profess to know how, but it definitely does. Because since I was a kid, I shouldn't have had money. I was like in poverty my whole life. But I knew from a very young age that I would never have to worry about money. Mm. And I can't tell you how. I just knew that... If I, did, if I knew what I wanted things to look like, it would happen. So a good example of this, this is about as woo as I'm going to get. <laughs> so make the most of it. I think this is the only <laughs> podcast I've ever been woo on. But I was in a really bad situation where I'd split up with a boyfriend in my, I think it was probably early 30s or maybe even late 20s. And I was living in a bedsit where there was above a pub. There was drugs on one side. There was massive domestic violence on the other side and I was just stuck there was nowhere else for me to go I had no money I had no job I had no way of getting out of this situation at all but I just knew I would and if somebody had spoken to me they're going well how will you what could you possibly do like you've come from from council housing as a as a personal assistant you've now lost your job what's going to happen 
And I just knew I would. And then I applied to go on a game show. And it was a game show where they'd never done it before. So I had no idea what it was going to be or what I was going to have to do. And I came away from the day on the game show with £28,000 and put a deposit down for my first flat. But I knew that 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 something was going to happen. I wasn't stressed at all. I knew that the money would come. And from that day, the money's always come. If I need it, it will be there. I don't know how, it just does. I'm the same. I've never had like a vision board or anything like Neither that. I, I set intentions informally in my head, more like, oh, I'd like such and such a guess. And the universe, whatever you want to call it, transpires to make these things happen. And then I might speak to, this has just happened actually, three random people within the same week that know the person I want to get on my podcast. And up until that point in my life, I've never met anyone that's had any affiliation <laughs> whatsoever. I wonder whether them. it's we're more open to opportunities. So like maybe I would have seen that advert to go on a quiz show and just ignored it before. But because I really needed some money, I took the opportunity and went, yeah. well, we'll give it a go. Maybe it's just we see the opportunities around us more that we didn't before. I don't know. But it definitely works. And it was a really fun game show. <laughs> what did you have to do? Oh, my God. <laughs> you won't like it. I had to lie. You're going to have to try and find some B-roll for this for I've one of the clips. I've had everywhere. So the, the thing was called Divided. So three people on there. There was an 18-year-old student, a 55-year-old gentleman and me. And they put us in a room and we had to answer questions. And if we knew the answer, we have to persuade the other two. I definitely know. And we all press the buzzer at the same time and we, we make money. But while we're deliberating on the answer, the money's going down. So then you make money. So we did that. And I knew a fair few answers. They're mostly about pop singers. So I was on good, <laughs> good stead. And then we got to this level where we'd amassed £90,000. But then they hit us with this. This is the bit we didn't know was going to happen. One of you is taking away 70% of the money. One is taking 20% and one is taking 10%. But you have to decide amongst yourselves who takes what. While you're deciding, the money goes down £1,000 a second. So what I didn't know is that they'd never, ever had to give out any money on this show because it had always gone down to zero. Because no three people are going to agree on that. So I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I was very lucky that the person who was the 55-year-old man, he said, to be honest, Lisa, you've answered 90% of the questions. So I'll take the second, I'll take the 20%, you take the 70%. But this 18-year-old girl was like, I'm not, I'm having the 70% or I'm not doing it. I'm just going to sit there. And I was like, okay, she is going to actually sit there. We see this money ticking down while we're having these conversations. I'm like, it's either going to go to zero or I have to do something big. Now, at the time, I was obviously staying in that bedsit and I didn't have a job. So I said, I've had acting training. (laughs) I said, okay, so just so you know, I am a banker. And my bonus every year is about 90 grand. So I don't really care if it goes to zero because in three weeks time, I'll get 90 grand. So you can argue it until it goes to zero if you want, but then you'll get nothing but I'm not really bothered. And then I completely phased out, walked walked a bit further away from the buzzer so she could see that I didn't even care about pressing it. And, in t- and I looked really nonchalant and inside I was screaming, um, hoping that she would get this bluff. And she did. She was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. She's like, oh, it's so unfair. And then she went, fine, I'll take the 10% <laughs> and buzzed it. And afterwards they interview you because um, you're not allowed to talk to each other. You have to go home in separate taxis so that you don't say we'll split the money or anything like that. So I got this 70%, which turned out to be 28,000. And they interviewed me at the end. And I was like, 
I completely bluffed all of that. I'm literally homeless at the moment. And, you know, I didn't know how else to get it. Um, and when I saw the interviews, when it came on TV with the other two, they were like, she's so greedy. She was going to get 90,000 from her bonus anyway. And now she's going to get another 90,000. I was like, oh, I can't wait till they see this to know that I'm not this person. <laughs> That yeah, is insane. Crazy. What a brilliant story. It was so much fun too. Oh, I can't believe you're not a convert to the woo after that. I know, you'd think too. I Look, I don't mind a bit of spirituality. I it's think ex- it's exploited like so many other I things think in the that's online why. Like th- One of the first, there were three things that happened in the first probably three months of me learning about how big spirituality and the woo, whatever you want to call it, universe the universal laws and all of those online in quick succession the first thing I saw was someone talking about how somebody had cancer and they must have manifested it because we all manifest the bad and the good into our lives that knocked me right from the beginning the second thing was when the Grenfell fire happened in London a contemporary coach of mine did an entire post on how she wasn't surprised it happened because the people there are poor and therefore negative and manifested it to them because of the law of attraction, which I pulled her up on, but she wouldn't sway. She said, well, that's what the law of attraction is. Like, they're negative and so they're going to draw negativity to them. Literally blaming their own family for doing this to them. That annoyed me. And then I read the book Happy by Darren Brown. So Darren explains how it's all done, how this whole, you know, manifesting is done and how people look for patterns and all of this kind of thing. And he explains a few of the stories he's had to do with manifesting. And, you know, Darren knows how to do this stuff. Like, he's yeah. trained in it. And that was my kind of, okay, I see how how these things are done. Um, and so I kind of went off it because of that. But I have clients who are who use it for good and who do really good things with it. And I've always believed that any kind of faith system, you know, I grew up a Mormon, any faith system is a good thing if it gives you hope in anything. If it makes you implement things because you believe it's going to happen, then I'm all for it. You go do the thing that you need to do. But I don't like it when it exploits people and it causes trauma to people. And so I can't fully ever go in. No, but what I would say, those examples you've given me there, that's got nothing to do with the law of attraction. That's just some very unscrupulous, unethical charlatans. That's... Horrific. I mean, these people should be, oh, I was going to say deplatformed, but I do believe in freedom of speech. Yeah. <laughs> but you'd like to think that they will cancel themselves. You'd with... like to think that they don't. You know, there's people who are using, you know, we said using law of attraction, using NLP, using hypnosis to get people to spend 300000 mm-hmm. on working with them. And, and while that's still happening, I want no part of it. No. Um, so I stay away from it as as much as I can. But then you've got like the, um, within the sporting world, I think they've used experiments before where the NBA stars have visualised getting the, that's the basketball. It definitely works, yeah. Visualising getting the ball into the hoop X amount of time. I suppose I see visualisation as something different. I believe in manifesting if we're talking about it as you visualise something, you know what you want, mm-hmm. you know the steps to get there, you take some action and therefore you get it. I'm very happy with that. The bits that I can't, come to terms with is draw the house that you want and I put it under my pillow and then I got that house. <laughs> no action required. No, but that happens all the time in our space. People talk about it like, I really wanted a parking space and then there was a parking space. It's like, yeah, that's called coincidence. That happens sometimes. <laughs> like, let's not make it into more than it is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think like 
generally thinking positively that things can happen will definitely get you there because there is you need a belief being a multimillionaire I needed to believe that I could mm-hmm. even be one otherwise no of course I wouldn't because I wouldn't put the action in that I needed yeah. to get there um so there are parts that I'm I'm good with, but there are some parts that I'm not going near. <laughs> I'm the same. You can have the meat without the bone sometimes. But what tools do you use to keep yourself positive? Because the bigger you get, the bigger your challenges. And as you've said before, just because you've got X amount of millions in the bank certainly doesn't mean that you don't face problems oh God, no. personally or professionally. Problems are different, you know. Like my husband getting cancer was a different problem. Like things still happen. But I think that, I have a kind of belief that we can only control so many things. We can't control everything. We can only control the things in our circle. And so I don't try to make everything be okay. I don't believe in toxic positivity. You know, if I'm upset, my audience going to know about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm ranting about something or I'm feeling really negative about something, I'm going to tell them. And lots of people will say well, that's not in high vibration and all of that kind of stuff. I don't care. Like, I believe that people should be real and it's relatable to people to be real. Mm-hmm. If you start trying to be perfect, it all falls down. And so I don't try to be. And, you know, if I make mistakes, I admit I made those mistakes and I do that online often to my audience. And I think that, that's all we can do. Like, there's no part of me that for a long period of time ever thinks, I'm not doing this anymore. Because mm-hmm. the mission is bigger than that. And I think as soon as it becomes bigger than you and money, it's much harder to give up mm-hmm. because there's something meatier behind it. Like, I really want to help people that have been bullied when they were younger. And yes, I'm an ambassador for Bullies Out, but eventually I want my own foundation for especially women that have been bullied as a child because when they're adults that's still there that's still stopping them from doing things that they want to do I see it over and over again and so I want to help those people I need tons of money to do that so it's bigger than me all all the things I'm going to do are bigger than me and so when it gets crappy and I'm like Sam I'm not doing this anymore I'm going to work in a cinema (laughs) which I say on a regular basis (laughs) why a cinema I've always wanted to work in a cinema he now says you do realise that in a cinema you'll just be giving popcorn out. And I was like, well, no, I'll be that person like who is in the screen letting people sit down. He was like, that'll get really boring after a while. I said, well, then I'll... He went, yeah, you will buy a cinema and then you will own a chain of cinemas. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) That's more in keeping with the brand of England. But yeah, you know, something where I don't have to ever have a responsibility for anything. But then I think, you know, after a week or two, I'm like, of course, things get hard. Yeah. But when they're hard, it means they go up again. Yeah. Like we're on a roller coaster. It's never gonna be hard for long. But this is again something that we really agree with because there there is the toxic positivity and there's also a lot of talk. And Tony Robbins, who I absolutely love, talks about this a lot. And it's the only thing I don't quite agree with him on. I'm sure there's other things as well, but it's all about change your state. Whereas for me, some of my biggest growth moments some of my biggest learnings have actually been from embracing the pain if I'm feeling like shit why am I feeling like shit if something's gone wrong within our business why is it went wrong with our business it might not be our fault it might be our fault what's the learning sometimes there's not learning there and then it's just there sometimes you might get the learning in <laughs> mm. three years time you know I do think there's a learning in everything but I don't is. think you you necessarily are sitting there when you get screwed over in a multi-million pound deal sitting there going oh thank you universe yeah. I'm so grateful for I've this never learning. changed Changing my state. I'm not putting music on to dance around my living room to make myself feel better. Like yeah. I'm happy to wallow for a while and then I will reframe and then I will get out of it. But I yeah, I I feel like 
it's okay to be real. And I don't think that changing your state actually changes your state. It changes what you outwardly are showing. But inside, I think people still feel the same as they did before. They're just showing it in a different way. And we don't need to do that. Um, did you know that I was Tony Robbins trained? I'm a life coach trained oh, yeah. by Tony Robbins. Oh my goodness, where have you been all my life? <laughs> <laughs> I never talk about it because I never use it. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a qualified life coach by Tony. So what did you think about that particular message of Tony saying? Because he's very big on that, isn't yeah, he? I don't Change like your it. state, do your power move. I don't like a lot of what he says. I really? Think, yeah, a lot of it's like rah, rah, rah. I think it's it's cult-like. Oh, really? In status, Yeah. Um, but, you know, some of the things, he's, I definitely took some stuff from what he said and and use it and it's helped. And there's a lot I didn't, and, but that's with most people. Mm-hmm. I think it's like you're saying here, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. Yeah, you have to you. eventually move on. Like, you can't want so many things. And also, you can use negativity as a power. Yes. Like, I've used negative. I'm pretty sure... The, spite. The re- yeah. I'll show you, motherfuckers. Pretty sure that revenge is the reason that I'm a multimillionaire. Because <laughs> the best revenge is amazing success. And so if yeah. someone tells me I can't do something, I'm going to do it loads better than they've done it. And yeah. that, that does push me and that has pushed me from being bullied when I first came into this industry. That's definitely helped. But it's ongoing, isn't it? Because you spoke a lot about the exploitation from coaches with the industry but you were on the receiving end of that weren't you with someone that I don't know how else to word it other than say had a hate campaign against you which ultimately ended up in court yeah in the first year of my business I it's in my book like I speak about it openly the first year I um I coached with somebody who I believe saw very early on that I was good Mm -hmm. and that I was going to be a threat and wanted to stop me and so very quickly after ending coaching with her she started a rumor mill with her and her five very high up in the industry coach friends that I had no integrity that I was rubbish at what I do not to listen to me that I was a mean person all of these different things and you know when I think back to it now I feel so sad for small me then because I I if that happened to me now, I am so, bring it on. But then I wasn't like that. And I just hid and didn't really know what to do. And it was in all these different Facebook groups. And in the end, I outed myself online because no one was mentioning my name. Mm-hmm. And that's where the power is. When someone doesn't mention your name, it's like the power is they might mention your name. Mm-hmm. And so that's the terrifying thing. And so I just said, hey, they're all talking about me and none of it's true. And got legals involved. And... In a way, when I think back now, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because that 30000 that I spent with her made me multi-millions because, A, I knew what kind of person I wanted to be, what kind of consultant, what I was not going to do, ever. I was never going to be ruthless to get where I wanted to go. I was never going to put somebody else down just to get where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned that. I learned integrity was a massive value of mine. I maybe didn't know that before, but I knew it then. And she told me that I wouldn't ever work in this industry or make it in this industry. And and that was the push I needed to prove her wrong. And so I think it was the best 30000 I ever spent. Um, but it just, it massively helped because I suppose if you were to ask me what the scariest thing was when I started in this online world, coming from a background of being bullied as a, 
as a kid, as a teenager and as a young adult, you know, my first husband, I was 17 when I got married and it was a domestic abuse situation. So I was terrified of being bullied. I, you, you then got bullied in the workplace and fired for getting bullied. Yeah, I, I, I was bullied my whole life. I now, when I, now I know more about self-development. I think I attracted it. Mm -hmm. I think it was my known state since I was a child. Like it was my most comfortable state. So of course I, I was going to put myself in situations where that happened. Um, but I was scared that that would happen online and it happened in the first four months. So it was like, good, now we've got that out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> now I can say whatever I like and do whatever I like and it will never be as bad as then. And it has never been as bad as then. Mm -hmm. Dr. John Martini says every downside has an upside and every upside has a downside. And that's probably the best £30,000 you've ever yeah, spent. It was huge. Priceless. And all of the things that happened to us, the adversity that, you know, Sam got cancer. It showed me where I needed to focus my time and attention more. He's in remission now, so it all worked out okay. Um, everything that happens to you will teach you something, will tell you something. It will all have an upside. I've had launches that have panned. And people are like, how do you go on when a launch has gone wrong? And I'm like, because it teaches me what I need to do next time better. Like, there is no one that hasn't, that is successful now, that hasn't had to get up and up and up when it's <laughs> like gone wrong. like a fucking jack in the box yeah. half the day. Like, <laughs> that's life. So when people do a launch and they quit, I'm like, you should quit. Because if you're not resilient enough for that, you're not going to be resilient enough for everything else that's going to hit you as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think it's Winston Churchill says that the definition of success is bumbling from one failure to the next without any loss of enthusiasm. Yeah, it's so that's true. So right. and, and don't get me wrong, I, I probably answer this differently every time, but somebody just asked me this week, what's the number one attribute of becoming successful? I said, well, firstly, you know, that's subjective. But if you're talking about business, I would wholeheartedly see its resilience because in any area of my life where I've had success and I look back and I reflect, it's not really that I think I've been any better than other people who have in quotation marks failed it's just the fact that I've kept back getting back up when others have that's remained it, down it. and just keep moving forward keep moving forward and sometimes they're baby steps you're almost grinding to a halt but there's just something inside me some sort of inner grit or resilience that won't allow me to fully stop to keep I that feel momentum going like that resilience comes from adversity in the past yeah so when I talk to clients those that have had Real adversity, whether it's financial adversity, whether it's illness as a child, whether it's a loss of a parent, they do better as entrepreneurs because they don't come to an obstacle and go, oh, well, I tried. I don't know how to do that, so I'll stop. They find a way around it because they're used to doing that. Mm -hmm. They're used to finding a way around life. And so they do it again. And so I think that adversity really helps us in those situations as an entrepreneur. And I didn't really realise it until I became one. Mm. And, you know, I've had thousands of people that I've taught now and I can see quite early on those that will make it and there's usually some adversity there and another thing that I really respect about your business model is you won't work with anyone at all regardless of the ticket price like you were saying about the Necker Ireland whether it was 35 grand 70 grand whatever your high ticket item was if you don't feel someone's got the attributes to work with or to become a success they're denied entry full stop absolutely my mastermind this year is a really good example of that. So I took 17 people into a mastermind. It was 20,000 for a year. So it was a high ticket mastermind. And we had probably 45 people apply. But most of them weren't ready and weren't right for it. I've sacked clients after a month. <laughs> like I refuse to be owned 
by a client. Um, I feel like we're in business because we want to do the things that we love to do. And the reason we don't work in corporate is because we didn't want the hassle of a boss every day. So I'm certainly not going to have the hassle of someone making my life hell um, if I don't think that they're aligned to my values. I just won't do it. I'd rather give the money away. But that's mm. held me in good stead. I think that if people know that, you attract a certain type of person. Like we just went on my retreat to New York with all of my masterminders who all weirdly happen to be women this year. So I don't only work with women. Normally there are men in my mastermind, but this year the, the right mix was just women. And we went to New York and, and the vibe was just amazing. Like I realised that I've got it down to a fine art. Like I've attracted the best people into that mastermind. Like every, you know, sometimes you have a mastermind and there's one that you're not quite sure of. Mm. That just isn't happening anymore. Like I love every person in there. And they're, they're great people and they're nice to be around and they value your time and there's no drama. Yeah. And it's just made me realise that curating it is the best thing to do. You know, you're totally right as well about not being owned. And I think there's a lot to be said for that energetically, if that's the right way of phrasing it. Because right at the very start of our property investment business, our very first investor, I mean, we literally, we'd done some joint ventures, but we'd never had any cash up from from anyone we had about seven quid in our business bank account at this point like no joke and we got a hundred thousand pounds for our first fixed return client so we're kind of like jumping around, like oh my god this is absolutely amazing the guy had been and spent time with us and looked around a few of our sites and been to our office and went through various forecasts and done his due diligence on us and vice versa the relationship was great up until that point as soon as he'd paid us the money something sort of shifted and his tonality changed. He clearly felt that he did own us. He was very demeaning in the way that he spoke to my husband. His emails, they weren't rude, but they just had an undertone. And we were just in complete agreement. And we transferred his money back. We sent a really professional, nicely worded email, but just saying, look, we're genuinely not right fit. Happy to recommend some other people for you to reach out to. But at this stage, you know, it's not going to work. And we were shitting ourselves, I'm not going to lie. We were in no doubt whatsoever it was the right thing to do. But when you're back down to seven quid in your business bank account, it's a case of putting your money where your mouth is. Because a lot of people do talk about this, and we spoke about it in the first podcast. People over profits, values, they're almost buzzwords now that are getting manipulated and exploited. Not many people genuinely live by those values that they shout about so loudly online or in person. And it's hard to, if we're honest. That's Very hard, hard to live by. Where if you if your back is against the wall and you're having to turn down a client because you know they're not the right fit, that's a really hard thing to do. But it's so worth it because then you make room for the people you do that are the right fit. And I, I guarantee that you you got another client after that that was perfect. It, it was literally within about two weeks, and then it just snowballed just through LinkedIn alone. We raised four million in one calendar year. Amazing. After that, it was absolutely insane. Yeah. There is an ownership that clients can't, not all clients, but I've had a few clients that, so for instance, I'll air my views on social media. So on my personal page, I might write something about, I really don't like it when this happens, or, you know, I'm pretty opinionated. And a client wrote to me once and said, I can't believe you've written that. I don't agree with you. And I said, okay, it's okay that you don't agree with me. Like we're all different people. And she was like, I don't think you should write stuff like that online. And I was like, okay, but I am going to. She was like, I've paid you money. And that was the first thing she said. And I was like, no, no, no. You've paid for a course. You haven't paid to decide what my opinions are or to own me or to tell me what I can and can't do. You've paid me money. And she was like, well, I want a refund. I was like, well, you're not getting one. 
Like, I need to teach you a lesson here that you don't own people. God, it's so interesting. I had the exact same thing. I expressed some somewhat controversial views over the last two years and one of my biggest investors got in touch off the back of a LinkedIn post and said they really weren't aligned with my view in this area. Again, no problem. I respect that. I respect your right to have a difference of opinion. And then proceeded to tell me that unless I removed the post and uh, didn't do any more podcasts of a similar nature, they would no longer be willing to invest with us moving forward. And I thought, you know what? You're definitely not uh, a right fit. I refuse to be owned by no, you can't be, anyone. I mean, you just what? can't. When did it become a problem to have a difference of opinion? I know, we I have both. a difference of opinion. Yeah. All the stuff that happened during COVID, we yeah. were having big discussions on what you believed and what I yeah. believed and it was the opposite of what we believed. Yeah. That didn't make us... I was right by the way. It <laughs> <laughs> didn't make us dislike each other. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. And no, I thought we have differences. Is this not what's wrong with the world though? Really? Like we should be able to articulate ourselves and our opinions and try to, like I'm genuinely interested to know why someone else has a difference of opinion. Yeah. In order for us to learn and to grow, it's not about me convincing you that Maui's right, contrary to what I just said. It's about expressing an opinion and listening to yours and also being willing to move and to adapt and to change. Not being so bloody minded that this is your opinion and, and you're going it. to stick to it for the rest of your life yeah. I've backtracked on loads of stuff in fact I've had people calling me out online screenshot how pathetic is this I've had people screenshot posts from like three and a half years ago and say like put it on a thread of a post that's not what you said and I'm like it, I've evolved oh my god <laughs> I'm like a completely different person to the yeah. person I was three and a half years ago and whilst obviously some core values haven't changed if I've not changed my opinions in certain areas there's something like sadly wrong yeah. you know yeah, definitely. Like, look at all my clients that are really spiritual and we have debates all the time. They're like, you are spiritual, you're just hiding it. And we have these <laughs> debates all the time. But I won't tell them what to think. Yeah. I'm never going to say, this is not what you should think. You should think this. All of my religious friends, you know, I'm an atheist, they're very religious. I'm not going to tell them what to think. My dad's a very, very strict Mormon. I'm an atheist. Yeah. Like, it's okay. I think I've grown up learning that different opinions are okay to have and that you don't you have to make someone see your point of view. Exactly. And I think where we massively agree is it doesn't matter what your opinion is. Your issue with spirituality is not spirituality. It is the people online or in business using. that are using that to exploit people. Yeah. The same way I'm sure you have an issue with people being fit and healthy, but you have an issue with a fitness coach telling people in order to have any form of success, yeah. they need to look in a particular way. Especially when it wasn't a fitness coach. Ah, okay. Even worse. Oh, yeah. What <laughs> yeah. kind of coach was it? Just a coach. Oh, okay. Just a, a business coach. But yeah, I think I think it is usually the people. But it's okay not to believe something. So, mm -hmm. you know, even if I don't believe in spirituality or, or religion or anything to do with COVID, it's okay to have those beliefs. And it doesn't mean that you don't respect the other person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you don't like the other person. Mm -hmm. like, you know, we can have really similar values and still have a difference of opinion. Yeah, me and my husband have differences of opinion yeah. on loads of different topics, but we have the same values and yes. that's what matters more, not, not opi your opinions. Values over opinions. My yeah. best friend, we're polar opposites, whether it's Labour conservative, in or out with Brexit, vax or no vax, like we literally can't agree with anything, <laughs> but we have got very similar values. We enjoy nothing more than a good, healthy debate. We never get anywhere with it, no. but it's a good, fun pastime. Yeah. And I enjoy that. I 
enjoy a debate. I think that's a good thing. But why has it become like, if you don't agree, you'll get cancelled? Yeah. I feel like I've been cancelled several times. <laughs> so when have you actually been cancelled then? I've had lots of people. So a good example of this is when I called out, because I think being cancelled and calling out something are different things. Yeah. I also don't believe that bullying is calling out something. No. So when that particular coach said that she, she, on her sales page, like you will sell more if you're thinner or whatever it was she said, I publicly said I don't believe that to be true. I didn't say her name or anything or what sales page it was on, but I said, you might hear messages like this in the world because you will, that lots of people think that. I want you to know it's not true. You know, this is coming from a size 16 to 18 woman who has lots of clients that already believe if only they were thinner, they would be more successful. And that's not the reason at all. And so to have someone then confirm that to them was devastating for them. And so for them, I I called her out and I said, this isn't right. Like, if if you hear this being said, it's not true. And I don't want you to think it's true. And I think it's quite a manipulative way of, of marketing. She has quite a following. <laughs> so she then did a message saying, I've been bullied. You know, the thing that they always do when they call down something that they did wrong. I've been bullied. And, you know, it's probably because she's jealous of me and all the usual things that people say. And her her audience came for me, like wanting to cancel me. Um, and they can try, but I don't believe you can actually be cancelled. Like, you can have a lot of people say, don't listen to this person, but if we look at the the, the most hated people... Look at Andrew Tate, yeah. he's been cancelled off virtually every platform, yeah, but arguably... he's not cancelled, he's even got even more people. And he's got more influence with, than ever. You know, people tried to cancel Katie Hopkins, people tried to cancel... People, Rachel Hollis, like, there's always going to be people trying to cancel you, You'll never be cancelled because there will always be some people that actually do agree with mm -hmm. the thing you're saying because we all have difference of opinions and that's mm. why you can't be cancelled. Yeah. Um, and I think that's okay. That's how it should be. But yeah, people have tried. Like, I feel like all of us will get a cancelled attempt at some point if we have any opinion. I had a video with over a million views removed from YouTube. I'm still crying my eyes about that. Why? Peter McCulloch, the most published cardiologist in history, talking up about... Uh, vaccine injuries wow. and uh, obviously big tech have got there is one narrative this was my whole point I can't around, believe that they actually removed it oh my kind goodness kind of proving the point you were talking about all along yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> I, and I had a that YouTube channel was actually shut down in the end which was absolutely outrageous and that was the sort of red flag for me during the whole COVID regardless of your beliefs historically whenever there's any kind of division or debate like I say Brexit in or out Labour Conservative for a general election, you're allowed to listen to both parties, both sides of the argument, and do your own due diligence and make a semi-informed decision. There's a lot of propaganda and manipulation involved that you have to wade through, but we've always been allowed to do that. Whereas during the pandemic, all the scientists and the doctors, very credible ones like Dr. Robert Malone, not making this about COVID, but he was the guy that created the mRNA technology that was in the COVID vaccine. They were getting cancelled. Now, regardless whether you agreed or yeah, disagreed Yeah, they still shouldn't be cancelled. Yeah. These they, are, they're allowed an opinion, right? They're allowed an informed yeah. an opinion. Otherwise, people can't make an informed choice. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. I think that just because you have an opinion that other people, that the majority of people might not agree with or it goes against what we should say, if it's not harmful and having an opinion generally isn't harmful to a large group of people, I think it's okay. Where I think it gets murky 
is if somebody is harming large groups of people. So, for instance, racism, and if they have an opinion that is racist or uh, any of those kind of things, then I think there's an argument for platforms banning mm. people that are doing that. Because if it's hurting people, I don't think it should be there. But if it's opinion piece, I don't see why take mm. it off it's hard to draw the line i think sometimes yeah it is and it's who facts checks the fact checkers that's a good point who does yeah interesting bringing it back to the online world then because inflation is going through the roof at the minute mortgage rates are on the up and people are in panic mode arguably this is a time of opportunity there's never been a better space to go and create online products and courses. What opportunities do you see over the next oh, 12 to 24 months? It's an amazing time for, mm. for businesses in general. So, you know, I worked in investment banking as a risk analyst um, years ago. And I was there as a risk analyst when the 2008 crash happened. So I was privy, you know, I was working in Canary Wharf where Lehman Brothers was. Um, and I saw them all walk out that morning and I was privy to the businesses during that time that made it and actually made more profit during a time of austerity and those that completely tanked that you would never believe would have tanked. Mm -hmm. And I learned a few things. And one of the biggest things I learned is that there is massive opportunity during a cost of living crisis, a recession, however you want to, whichever part of it you believe is here. Um, and those kind of places that won't be here are the ones that stop. They stop marketing. They stop putting money into their business. The fear gets them. And they won't survive because it's only those ones that are more visible, marketing more, that survive. Mm -hmm. And it was the biggest learning for me. So when this started, it's when I started, you know, I must have put 300,000 into my business in the last year and a half because I could see where the opportunities were. Different opportunities. For instance, I've managed to get two people that I think really highly of who had their own businesses to come work for me instead. You know, because there's more, there's more risk out there and so people want security. Um, I've been able to collaborate with amazing people that I maybe wouldn't have been able to collaborate with before. Mm -hmm. Like, there was opportunity there if you're willing to look for it. But if you stay in panic mode, you're doing yourself a disservice because that's how it all goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And I saw that in big, big banks. Yeah, yeah, it's totally true. What about people who perhaps haven't dabbled their toes into self-employment or doing anything like this before? Well, now's the time. Like, I feel like... We're such a baby industry, especially in the UK. Like the online learning world is worth billions globally. And in America, it's, they're so far ahead of where we are. And we're at the cusp of it. We're there. Now is the time to get going with it and do it in a different way. Like we see what's happening with AI. I was just about to ask us. you about AI and if you've embraced that because, mm. <laughs> to be really honest, I've been thinking about doing a course, but I can't really be arsed recording it. But I'm thinking of just getting an AI avatar, writing it all and getting them <laughs> to deliver it for me. Have you dabbled with anything like that yet? And the thing is with AI is I believe it's a really good tool. Think of it like your assistant but it can't be used. Those people worrying that it's going to take over, it can't take over anything because what it doesn't have is, is your voice and it can't get that. It can't get, you look at chat, GTP, it gives you some really good things to start with. You know, if you ask them, give me the 10 reasons why you should have an online course right now, it'll give you a great 10 reasons why you should have an online course. It, it can't persuade. So when I 
write that into a blog piece or into a course, I might be able to take that information, but then I have to construct it so that it is me doing it mm. with examples of real life things that have happened to me that turns it into a 3D view. People, we know people buy from people that they like. People always say people buy from people. People buy from people that they like. Mm. They can't like an AI because it's just giving you facts. I might prefer an AI to a lot of people, <laughs> least, I'll be honest. <laughs> So I love it. I, I'm a big believer that we should be integrating these tools into our business and stop worrying that they're going to take over the world. I kind of would like it if iRobot happened and they took over the world, but I don't think it's going to happen. Well, can I just tell you, I was out in Dubai last week interviewing Mo Gouda, who mm. was the ex-chief business officer for Google X. He's recently been on Stephen Bartlett and he's talking about how he believes AI is the biggest existential threat to humanity that we have that ever That kind of faced. excites me. I think I've watched, <laughs> I've watched too many movies. Not, not as in going around with guns. No, but, but we might not be needed. Absolutely not needed because obviously technology is neutral, isn't it? It's all down to... But I think people are neutral. Exactly, that's yeah. the point. And that's where the danger lies because the... Uh, the best interests for America, for example, are not necessarily the best interests of China or the best interests of Russia. And when you have your electricity, your gas, your water, your nukes all linked to this technology, just as a couple of examples, it's... But I think that can be a good thing because if that neutralises everything, it also neutralises war. It's going to neutralise all of us. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we need a bomb shelter. Uh, I think this is a good reason to earn a lot of money so you can build a bunker. <laughs> Let that be your why. Oh, I quite like it. I like want there to be a whole film on this, <laughs> like a documentary on it, because it fascinates me that we've been talking for since the beginning of films and books about how this is going to happen. And then when it happens, we're all shocked. Yeah. And we're like, ah, uh, nobody watch any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think in the short term, we don't need to worry about it. We, we Let's use the tools we have. Absolutely. And and use it as an assistant rather than take over. Yeah, and like you say, I think it is, the roles will change just like it's happened in the Industrial Revolution. We've had so many revolutions, haven't we, where we've had to adapt. But the jobs won't be getting replaced. Well, they will be getting replaced, but by people who understand how the technology yes, how and the prompts it. work. Exactly. And also... <laughs> It's about being creative mm -hmm. with how things happen. And remember that everything becomes retro. People don't always want the best version. They want the version they like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes, you can, you can get a best scale model of something that you'd, you, know, you'd, you no longer need, but people will still buy a SodaStream. Yeah. You know, there's, people will still want a version of something that is more real to them. And that's why I think... We don't really have to worry. There'll always be, yeah, they might be able to do, they might be able to get these AI doing everything better than us, but I think people will still go for the real thing. I think you sound like the CEO of Blockbuster just before Netflix <laughs> wiped him out. <laughs> Let's see. Let's wait and see. We'll do a follow-up in I 12 believe months. in humanity, and I think humanity wants humanity. And I think if they, if humanity wants humanity, they'll find a way to not be swayed. Mm-hmm. But it depends. You you very much see the people at the top. I see the people at the bottom rising up. Oh, oh I like it. And I certainly hope you're right. This is what I want to get proved wrong for, for yeah. sure. So what's next for you then? What's in the pipeline? Oh, there's so much stuff going on. Um, we are building an agency. 
Wow. To support our clients, so building an agency with them. Um, I've been offered a second book deal that I've turned down. Really? Okay, pray tell. I just feel like it's really good when there's one book, isn't it? Like everyone like likes your book. And then if you start, it's like films. No one likes the sequel as good as the first one. <laughs> so I don't know whether, I only want to write. I don't know, the Rocky. I was going to say trilogy. There was like five of them. <laughs> yeah. Love Rocky. Yeah, but look at Fast and Furious. It all went wrong. Mm, it did. I feel like if I, if there's a book in me that I really want people to read, I'll do it, but I'm not just going to write it for the money. Okay. So I've turned it down for now and we'll see what happens with that. But what mm. I would love to do, like my ultimate dream, that the biggest thing still on my bucket list is to have either a television show about money, investing in it, making it, saving it, or to at least have a segment on a prime show mm-hmm. about money. Because I think, I think we need less m- middle-class white men talking about money and more real people that didn't come from money talking about money yeah. and how you can make it. Um, so, yeah, it would be nice to see that because there's so many TV shows that have, like, a careers section, a fashion section, especially, like, these morning shows. No one talks about business. It's as if it doesn't exist. Yeah. But it does exist. And more and more people are now, like, with the great resignation, going, well, I'll just start my own thing. And we know more millennials and Gen Zs than ever before are starting their own thing. So why is it being missed out? Were you not meant to be doing a TV show with Spencer? We did. We did dabble. Did you? But he's doing a really, really good TV show on trafficking. Yeah, slightly different avatar. Yeah, and he's properly in on that. So I think that I want him to do that and go and, you know, get, that needs to be shown. Um, so one day, maybe one day, um, we'll see. I think we should do the Lisa Nelly show. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I feel like there's a show with me. Like, there's so many things. I think of different things every day that I could do a show about. I just need to, like actually get off my arse and start pitching it to people. Write it down. Yeah. I know, again, Shall I draw it and put it <laughs> under my pillow? Well, do you want to know what? You know, on a serious note, right, this is a true story to end on. So <laughs> I realised, I must have been listening to a podcast and somebody was talking about how they'd written down their 100 guests or something like that. And I thought, you know what? I've never actually done that. I've never actually, this wasn't so much a woo thing. This was just a case of do who want? do I want on my podcast? But this person was going to see that this is the first universal law is writing things down. I thought, okay, well, you know, it doesn't do any harm. It's just a form of goal setting, really. Sat and wrote down 100 people on my bit of paper. Now, really random, because one of the names I wrote down was Barry Hearn, who I'm not a sporting fan. He's not particularly somebody I've been bothered about. I accidentally listened to a podcast that he'd been on several years before. It must just have came on autom- automatically after the one I was interested in. And I remember being really, really impressed with him, just thinking, wow, he's a wily old man. You know, he really seems to know his stuff, very charismatic, lots of amazing life lessons in there. So he just randomly popped into my head, wrote his name down. And then within two hours of doing that, I got a voice note from somebody inviting me to their event in which Barry was doing a keynote. And I knew (gasps) there and then that I would get him. And I saw him at the event and I'm a bit like you, Believe it or not, I'm a naturally introverted person and there are certain situations where I do really lack confidence. Yeah. But I'm a bit more of a be it until you become it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Whatever you want to say. I'm like, I will just pretend to be confident until one day it comes a lot more naturally. And not really many people know that about me. So anyway, I saw him and I just thought going up, I, I know myself when people come up to me and they're like, oh, Ellie, you know, you're so amazing. And, and I get it. And it's very humbling and what have you. But 
you don't want that really you want people to come up and talk to you on and tell you what they want and tell you what they want yeah exactly so i just be lying straight for him and went put my hand out i says oh barry ellie mckay here from the on the mission podcast oh my god i've got such a funny story to tell you um i've got to dash it at the minute because he was just about dead on stage i says let's catch up after and anyway i got him on the podcast amazing and he was just like i think it was just having that confidence yeah and to approaching ask. Him. i think that a lot of the times if we just ask for the things we want it will happen and i know that the tv thing will happen i don't know how or when but it will um but i was just thinking about your podcast list you know everyone you know all these names I'm rubbish with that. If someone told me, write down 10 people you want on your podcast, I don't even think I could do it. Help me do a course on how to attract all these amazing people. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should podcast. do one. Like, I'm like, I don't know who I want. <laughs> I just meet random everyday people and go, you'd be a good person to talk to. That, yeah, but that's me. So we've got a mutual friend in James Burt who's got his own podcast agency and he reached out to me not so long ago and he was like, Ellie, absolutely loving what you're doing. How are you getting these guests? Have you got someone? Are you paying someone to approach people on your behalf no. I'm like no I'll just be out walking the dog I'll be listening to a song and somebody will pop into my head and I'll drop a voice note to someone on Instagram or something really random I'll know somebody and they'll mention somebody else and then that leads to something else it's my skill in life I don't know how I do it but I am very good at attracting amazing people oh, into my network and nice. to me I, I genuinely believe that relationships are the highest form of currency and yeah. What a great life. You know, now I'm getting paid, now that I've got sponsors and things, to live the life that I love, talking to people, learning, adding value to so many people, getting to travel the world. We can't complain of that, what, can what we? What more can you wish for, exactly you know? That. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think it's, like, I listen to podcasts like yours and Spencer's, and I don't know the people on them because I'm not, I'm just not that person that knows anyone. But then I'm like fascinated by their stories. Everyone always has such a story. And on my podcast, my podcasts are only 20 minutes long. And they're about stories about people. And people were like, why aren't you getting on all of your big no-name friends? Because like, they're not the stories that are interesting. The stories that are interesting is the person I met yesterday who isn't making very much money yet, but she survived a, a terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. I'm like, these are the stories that I would want to listen to. Like, how has that helped her in business now? What resilience has she got from that happening to her? And all these different stories. And everyone has one. And every time I meet someone, they go, oh, I don't really have a story. And I'm like, you, <laughs> you do. You do. And that's also what you help to cultivate in people as well because they don't recognise they have a skill that they can monetize as well, which is your entire business model but what's really interesting when I look at my analytics it's not the a-listers or the well-known names that you might expect that have the top download numbers by a long stretch the only guest I've ever paid for today I'm quite open about it it was right at the very start I paid for Ricky Hatton the boxer I happened to know someone who knew his manager and I paid a couple of grand which I just saw as a, a market okay, expense started, yeah and it was brilliant because it was able, you know, it positioned me. And when I approached other people then and said, Ricky, be on the podcast, they overlooked the fact I didn't really have any yeah, downloads at that point. They didn't ask, which was great. And then you get to a certain point when you've had enough names that it just becomes almost a foregone conclusion. The momentum's yeah. already started and the downloads followed. Actually, I got the names before I got the downloads. But that Ricky Hatton one, I shouldn't really say this publicly, it's one of my worst performing podcasts. <laughs> but and it got everyone else on that. Are the good it got everyone podcasts. on. I've uh, That money, you know, it was worth it tenfold, a hundredfold for sure. And I had a great interview and it was brilliant for Who's my Who's been your favourite interview? It's a great question. And I think it, 
depends when you ask me it because I've got quite a short memory, you know. Yeah, the, I, I just, like you love someone. It's like me with films. This one that I saw last week. Exactly, yeah. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember anything other than that last film. What I really love is how diverse the podcast is. One day I'm speaking to a crypto billionaire. Then later on that day, I'm talking to one of the Real Housewives of Dubai, who's also like a, a serial entrepreneur. Then I'm talking to a cardiologist who's speaking up about f- preventative um, medicine. It's interesting, isn't it, all these it's people? It's so different talking to somebody about breath work. or It's just brilliant and it's whatever I'm interested in. Like My husband's fascinated with trading and he's pretty much been a full-time trader for the last oh. two years. So at the moment, I'm connecting with lots of... I'm not even connecting, I'm manifesting attracting lots of crypto people so it's absolutely brilliant and I think I genuinely I mean there is I'm way too honest sometimes like there is some interviews where you just you think you're going to get on really well with somebody and it's just an energy thing yeah you and you don't it. vibe and sometimes that's really disappointing because I'll have listened to them on other people's podcasts and think oh wow this person's going to be fantastic yeah and I tell you what else is difficult sometimes I don't like to contradict my guests. Like, I'll challenge someone, or if we've got a difference of opinion, challenge is probably the wrong word. I'm not Jeremy Paxman, but, (laughs) you know, if we have a difference of opinion, I'm not uh, shy to articulate that. But I don't like to make my guests feel stupid. And sometimes I'll say things that they'll have said on a different podcast or a multiple podcast. And they're like, oh, no, that's not right. I feel like, going, well, you fucking said it six and six other podcasts. Yeah, you want to say it. Well, actually, if you listened. <laughs> my editor was like, oh, should we put some like sound bites in from their previous podcast? I was like, if you do that, I won't get any other guests yeah, in the future. Yeah, they'll never do it. They'll be like terrified of what they've ever said before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I know it probably sounds like a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but I suppose it... It depends on what phase of my life I'm going through. And what you're interested in at the time. I think that's always a big thing. Yeah. I I went through a crypto phase. Did you? Yeah, I learned from, I learned trading from Ben Knight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I like was really into it for a while. And then like with all things, if you don't focus on it, you forget everything about what you should be doing. And so I I went off the ball. But yeah, I go through phases where I'm really interested in something and then I'm not. And then I'm really interested in something else. I go, I, I go all in but like I said earlier this is like the university of life and I, I do believe that who you surround yourself with you become whether that's in business yeah, fitness like at the minute I'm more interested in health that's because I've fallen off the wagon and I need to submerge myself in that Talk environment stuff. again to try and revitalize I probably put on about a stone and I'm not practicing the things that you know yeah. I know make me feel in optimal there. health and you feel like you're not walking the walk and that's why I'll never be a life coach because <laughs> I'm the first one to say I'm just someone trying to kind of figure this out but by the nature of this job it's brilliant because if you are going through a phase like we all do where you're in a bit of a funk or you're not as motivated with the self-development my job is to research people and to consume this positive information really so if nothing else I'm listening to you're getting a load of stuff going in which is always a good thing yeah yeah I think it's a great way to look at it yeah Lisa it's been an absolute pleasure oh it has thanks for having me I like this way of doing things just come and chat to you on the sofa I know well (laughs) next time we'll need to round it off with some 
dinner and some... Yeah, uh, well, we could have had wine here instead of water and then you'd have a completely <laughs> different podcast. Well, you know what? I was saying this, actually, because I love Joe Rogan. I don't know if you've ever followed any mm. of Joe Rogan's podcasts, but he's sat in the mushrooms. He's got stories. He's had tequila and things like that. So uh, next time in 18 months <laughs> or whenever we do the next one, we're going to have some tequila shots. <laughs> All right, thanks, Lisa. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you have to go to war with yourself. Welcome. To on a mission. On a mission. The on a mission podcast. You've got one of the best jobs in the world. I have to say, you've had some really astounding guests. You're generally a force for good. You are the truth warrior. 